0: Everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. And with Bayern Munich starting back up this week, you saw a lot of news break, a lot of transfer rumors, some updates on the squad, how some of the players are faring with their health. But where I wanted to kick things off, and this is you know all in mind of, of Bayern Munich having practice this week and really getting things back and going in, in preparation for the rook Runda. Back a couple of weeks ago, might even been a couple of months ago at this point, uh, I had drawn this comparison between Bayern Munich and the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm not going to make this a Philadelphia Eagles podcast by any means, but I had talked a little bit about how when the Eagles were winning all these games, there were these flaws, these inherent flaws that I was seeing and that The talent level wasn't quite living up to what it was supposed to be, and that some of the key players maybe just weren't as good as a lot of people thought they were. And my main takeaway from that discussion was that eventually, at some point, all those little things that are going that you're doing wrong, that you're not executing, uh, all those weaker areas of your team that were maybe getting a little bit lucky that would all eventually come back to bite you in the butt. And if you've been following the NFL at all, you could see that it's happened with the Philadelphia Eagles. They've fallen off the cliff completely. Uh, they'll still make the playoffs, but they have so many flaws. They have so many underperformers. And quite frankly, they have so many underrated players that it did make me think about drawing that comparison to Bayern Munich. And my take at the time was that that Bayern was a little reminiscent of the Eagles because they were getting a little bit lucky with how they were winning games. But the primary difference between the two clubs, I should say, is that Bayern Munich has such a higher level of talent and better depth than the Philadelphia Eagles. I know it's hard to compare teams across two different sports, but the whole point was that sometimes when you're watching games and you're seeing those flaws and somehow they're not affecting a team at a certain point almost always they do come back to haunt you. So I think Bayern Munich over the course of that Hinrunde really did make some progress. Sure, there are still some issues, and those are some of the things I'm sure they're working on this week. Defensive positioning and and reactions to counterattacks are still an issue. The attack can get stagnant at times. The midfield can lose its press resistance at times. Those are all little things that, They have come and gone throughout the Hinrunda, and you know that Thomas Tuchel will be working very closely with his players to fix those things, to prevent things from happening like what is currently happening with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I did want to follow up on that because I didn't want to give people a reason to worry, and you could say like, yeah, I see all of those things going on with Bayern Munich. Should I start to panic a little bit here? The answer is no, this is still a very good team. I don't anticipate they are going to fall apart. They have too much talent and they have better veteran leadership. I think than many clubs do when you talk about Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller and even Harry Kane, even being a newcomer, those are established experienced players who just carry a lot of weight and and can lead by example and also with their voices as well. So, I mean, this is a, this is a Bayern Munich team that is, and poised for the second half of the season. Can they shore those things up and make it a great second half? I don't know. We'll find those things out very, very soon. But I think, you know, having experienced this uh, Philadelphia Eagles collapse locally, it did really make me think about that. So wanted to bring that back up and touch on things. Hopefully my takes on Bayern Munich from that period uh, are, are all things that will be worked on and improved in the Rook Runda but the biggest news of the week really did revolve around transfer rumors. I know a lot of people hate them. And I personally like they are annoying at times because especially in the in the transfer windows, the stories change from hour to hour. You could get one story from a real reliable publication saying Club A has no interest in player B and 90 minutes later, you get. Another story from another reliable publication that says, absolutely, there's interest. So it it just goes around in a circle until something breaks. But there were several different stories that caught my eye. And we'll just take a quick run through some of the bigger names that Bayern Munich was linked to over the course of the past week since things restarted. Uh, The most interesting rumor to me was Bayern Munich and Alexander Nubel because Nuble has shown no inclination that he wants to hang around Bayern Munich. And, and right now, it seems like Bayern is pretty well set with its goalkeeper situation. I th- think the parameters of the rumor were that Bayern would like to extend Nubel for another year and potentially loan him back out, maybe, to, maybe even to Stuttgart, just to buy another year of time to see what happens with Manuel Neuer, which would make a lot of sense from a Bayern Munich perspective. They have Neuer, they have Sven Ulreich. And they have Daniel Peretz, who is a young player, but really does not have any track record of being able to play at a high level, unlike a player like Alexander Nubel. So it would just buy Bayern Munich another year to figure things out, uh, and and maybe during that time, I think we could potentially see Peretz loaned out next year as well. So it would be very interesting to see what happens if Nuble does agree to it. I'm thinking he's not going to be inclined. To do that, although, listen, he he may think it's another good way to showcase himself. And if he can squeeze some extra money out of Bayern Munich, maybe he'll go along with that plan. His teammate, (laughs) Saru Gerasi, was was, uh, also linked to Bayern Munich, but not necessarily for a January move. This was one that puzzled me. I don't get this, uh, the linkage here. I don't think that he's a fit at Bayern Munich. Ran the numbers, and I believe it was 132 games played at striker with only 16 played at left wing, so I don't believe that Garassi would be an option to really play anywhere across the front three in an attack. I don't think he's got that kind of flexibility to his attacking game. To me, he's just more of an out-and-out number nine, and I think he's been good this year, and I think he's ridden a hot hand. I don't think you're going to see this type of output and production consistently after this season, so I don't know why Bayern Munich would be in the mix here. To me, that that could go a lot of different ways. Maybe Byron does see something. Maybe they like him as a backup, or maybe it's just his his representation using Byron as leverage to maybe get some interest going from other clubs. But I wouldn't anticipate Byron to get really serious about that kind of pursuit, unless Harry Kane has already made it clear that he's one and done in Germany, which I don't, I don't think is happening, at least not at this stage. Uh, one of the more persistent rumors that we've seen is Chelsea's Trivo Chaloba, who has Been linked to Bayern Munich off and on since the summer. Versatile defender, probably fits the mold of the kind of player that Thomas Tuchel is is seeking during this window. Chaloba is also a player who Tuchel has coached. I believe it's like something like 30 or 31 games where Tuchel coached him at Chelsea. So he knows the player. He understands the player's strength and weaknesses. Chaloba has the versatility that Bayern is looking for. Could this be a fit? It remains to be seen right now. Chelsea wants to out and out sell Chilova from what we can see in the most recent reports while Byron might not be so sure about his long-term prospects and and wants a loan. So uh, I get Byron's hesitancy here. It's not as if this is a sure thing transfer move. So making a, a purchase at whatever the cost is probably doesn't make sense at this point. So we'll see if Chelsea and Byron can get aligned on some kind of deal it just seems like Byron's going to make a move for someone. It's just very unclear as to who it would be. If you, you know, put a gun to my head, I'm telling you I would kick the tires on Lucas Klausterman from Arbe Leipzig. Klausterman is going to be available. He, has, he hasn't he has totally shot down Leipzig yet on, on extending his contract, but it looks like he wants to move on. He's only got six months left in the deal. If Leipzig thinks that they can get something for Klausterman, they might lean that way. And I think Klausterman and his ability to play as both a center back and a right back is what Byron wants. Just like Chiloba, this is a player who can absolutely fill a couple of different roles. I like Klausterman because of his size and speed at center back. I think he could actually really develop into a very, very good center back. If he devoted more time to just that one position, who knows? though? but uh, Klausterman has been linked to Eintracht Frankfurt among other clubs. So, Whatever happens with him, Byron's not currently on his radar as of now anyway, but I would like to see that move. I think he would be a good fit and like really the perfect fit for what Byron wants right now because of his versatility, because of his familiarity with the Bundesliga and the fact he's played in big games too. So Klauserman would be the guy I would go to. I hope that that's something that evolves in the coming weeks that we see Byron and Klauserman start to be linked together. I would love it in January. I think it would actually be even a good fit in the summer as well if that could happen. But I think if Klausterman makes it to the summer, he's probably going to be more inclined to go to a club where he'll be a regular player. I don't know if Byron retains Matthijs Delict and has Daya Upamakano and Kim Minjay together that being the fourth center back, even as someone who could take some time at right back. Uh, like Klauserman could. I don't know if that would be as appealing of a situation as just being a flat-out starter somewhere else all the time. Uh, th- the biggest one is the defensive midfielder position. I mean, these reports about Jao Polina, they are just floating up and down and all over the place. Every hour, things are changing. You see some reports saying that Byron wants nothing to do with Polinia at this point. You see others saying that a deal is likely to get done. You see others saying that there's mutual interest and it just is a matter of Fulham really wanting to sell to Bayern Munich and what that cost would be. So it's uh, the reports have been all over the place. One of the things that stuck out to me in in one of the reports was that Bayern does not necessarily see the need to go out and spend big on a defensive midfielder right now, which I agree with that. I know most people would strike me down. I just don't think Bayern needs to go out and spend a lot of money on Jal Polina right now. One of the aspects of that story was that Bayern Munich could go and they could get Martin Zubimendi – In the summer, for probably a little bit cheaper. So, maybe a loan option during this January window would be a better play for Bayern Munich if they can find an experienced defensive midfielder who is available and who could play a role at Bayern Munich and come cheaply. That would allow for further spending in the summer when Bayern has a much better idea of where it's going with its squad planning. And that's something we will talk about later in this episode. Clearly, there's a lot going on with how players are being analyzed. And rated at Bayern Munich because some experienced and veteran players who are mainstays on the club are, are really under the microscope at this point so I'm looking forward to talking about that at the tail end of the show but uh, the other big name and it's relatively big was AC Milan's Fakayo Tamori who I don't think is going anywhere uh, AC Milan has shown no indication that it wants to sell him at this point. And I don't know that Bayern Munich is going to be able to pry him away. So those were some of the biggest names that we saw linked to Bayern Munich. I don't know that any of them are realistic at this point. Uh, Chiloba is probably the one that has the best chance, but it's really just a matter of what Chelsea wants in this case, if they'll accept a loan or if they are just going to hold firm and demand that Bayern would have to acquire Chiloba for a fee. So... We'll see what happens with those instances. And I'm sure by this time next week, there will be even more names added to the mix and probably some subtracted as well. So we'll see what happens. This is a big window for Bayern Munich. They know they have some needs that they need to fill. Not everyone agrees exactly on what those needs are, but uh, the fan base is really riled up about the window. So whatever the way, whatever way Bayern Munich goes, there's going to be a lot of reaction, which of course you can always get at BFW. Uh, it's always good to hear those different points of view when Bayern makes an acquisition, or brings in a loan, a player on a loan. Uh, two of the names that came up this week for players that could potentially be leaving Bayern Munich this month: uh, Eric Maxim jupo moting which doesn't really surprise me because I don't know what kind of role he has moving forward. I think Tuchel was really grasping at straws when using Chupo in the first half of the season, even the rationale for using Chupo that he was good in clearing uh, aerial balls and headers in the defensive end. Like, you don't need your 10 or your striker doing that. Uh, I know the theory aside of what Tuchel said publicly about those aerial balls. The theory was in my mind that Tuchel Wanted to compensate for Kane playing a little bit deeper by complementing him with a striker like Eric Maxim choupo Moting, who, quite frankly, was really, really good last year. Uh, I don't know that he's been as good this season. I don't think he has. Uh, but, you know, when you have Kane and you have Matisse Tell and you have Thomas Muller and you have Jamal Musiala, you have more than enough attacking power from those four players to play at the nine and the ten. Tubo is a luxury item at this point. He's still valuable to have. He fills a role, a very deep sub role. But I think in fairness to him, I think in fairness to Tuchel in trying to keep his roster happy, Byron probably would be open to selling Chubot. Uh Manchester United has been linked. And one of the really funny things about that is if you think about it, just over the summer, Manchester United was linked to Harry Kane. Now they're, trying to get his backup and you could argue that chupo in in reality might even be the third option right now at striker but either way uh, i think it would be a smart move for chupo if he wants to to go play abroad and he wants to continue to collect a hefty paycheck Uh, i think it would be smart for him to do that i don't know that he's got much of a future with his contract expiring I think Chupo is probably in his last season at Bayern Munich unless he really wants to take a pay cut, which why would you at this point of your career unless you're absolutely 100% comfortable with where you're at. So Chupo, if he gets that opportunity to move on, I think he should take it. Franz Kratzig is the other name that was brought up as a a player that could potentially leave. And for Kratzig, it would be on a loan assignment. Kratzig really started out hot. He was, man, (laughs) very exciting, played with a lot of passion and energy and... It was just the kind of jolt that I think fans needed to see out of the team at that time. There were some lax days goal showings by the team. You had a lot of veterans who were really just trying to gear up and ramp up. And every time it seemed that Kratzig played, he was able to do something and contribute. Unfortunately, he hit a bit of a downturn and has not been great of late. And his opportunities are lessening really by the day. I don't know. How often he would be used in the second half of the season. I think it's a smart move. If they can find a place for him to go, but I think Franz Kratzig should go and uh, get the experience somewhere else. Hopefully get a lot more playing time. And it would be good for him. I just don't think he's going to be able to be that impactful at this at this minute. I know he's able to play as an outside back. He's able to play in the central midfield. And as, as thin as a lot of people think Bayern Munich is at this point, I mean, Kratzig would maybe be the sixth or seventh option to slide into uh, a central midfield role. So I just don't think that that's going to work out for him. And as a young player, it would be great to see him getting more opportunities. So Chupo and Kratzig, I'd be okay with both of those players leaving. What do you think? Who do you think is coming in? Who do you think's going out? Drop those names in the comment. Let me know where you think some players will end up. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about that build report which discussed a handful of vet, Bayern veterans who are under the microscope and I'm going to give you my takes so on where things stands with those players next. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith bringing the weekend warm-up. I appreciate you sticking in through the transfer rumor mill that we covered there in the first half of the show. Uh, we talked about all of those players, that not all, but a lot of players that have been linked to Bayern Munich over the course of the past week. A lot of exciting names there. A lot of names that really seem far-fetched, but either way, would love to hear what you think about them. To me, the biggest item of the week was that build report, which said that Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Serge Gnabry, Mentice Delict, and Alfonso Davies are all under the microscope, and all of their futures with the club will be examined and decided on this summer, That to me was a little bit crazy. If you think about things and you just rewind a year ago and you threw those names out there, the only one that you might say fans would have been somewhat surprised about or or not surprised about, I should say, Serge Gnabry, because Gnabry has been up and down. There are a million good wings in the world it's really mixing and matching at that point. I like Gnabry. I think he should stay at Bayern Munich, but I get how the club might be looking for a more consistent option, maybe a more explosive option, maybe just one that specializes in something other than what Gnabry does, which at this point, it's hard to say because he just hasn't really been able to get on track this season. But when you talk about names like Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Matijs DeLicht, and Alfonso Davies, I think a year ago, fans would have been completely shocked to hear that those four players uh, could potentially be sold off this summer and summer of 2024. Kimmich himself, I mean, the the fall from grace that has happened with him in the eyes of fans and maybe the club—it's crazy to me. Still think Kimmich is is the guy for the Bayern Munich midfield. I think he's got a lot to offer. I think it's just very premature at this point. Like I'm not going to go you know, online or hit social media and tell people they're wrong when they bash Kimmich. I whatever. I mean, like, listen, he's been up and down this season more so than any other season of his career. I don't think he and Tuchel are hitting it off. I don't think they see eye to eye on anything. Uh, but Kimmich is one of those players. that I think if you lose him, you're going to lose a big voice in the locker room. You're going to, you're going to lose a keystone player in the locker room and, that's always a risk, because when you lose those kinds of players, especially you know toward the end of the careers of Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer, you're losing the voice of your team. You're losing that personality and that attitude. And I think it's just very risky to do that right now. Uh, I get that there's caution for concern. I don't always think Kimmich has been great this season. Uh, His press resistance has been so up and down. His passing has been, in my mind, not as good as previous seasons. He's not connecting on those through balls as much as he used to. I think he's been a little bit more erratic in the center of the field as well. I, I just don't love everything about how he's played, but I'm not yet ready to give up on him. It's the same way in previous years we've talked about Leroy Sané or Serge Gnabry or Kingsley Coman. Those players are going to have ups and downs. And at any given point, you could look look around and say, all right, well, it's time to move on because they could hit a down spell for three or four games and look terrible. It might be the same way with Kimmich right now. Maybe we've been a little bit spoiled by his consistency over the years. But to me, it was very shocking with Goretzka, given the, the first half of the season that he's had and uh, you know, looking through kickers' ratings of players and they do their you know world-class, national class, et cetera. I mean, Goretzka was one of the higher-rated midfielders in the Bundesliga. And had he not gotten out to that slow start under Tuchel, because you know Tuchel had made up his mind to replace Gretzka, it's another reason I have red flags about Tuchel. I mean, he made his mind up about players before really even having the opportunity to learn about them and know them and figure out how to use them in the best capacity. That's beside the point, I guess. Either way, you know, I hear these things about Gretzka, and it really puzzles me because he was very good, and I think again, Gretzka on his best day and work and with the way he works, that. They- with Kimmich I mean this is a good duo in the midfield to me and I think that there's still a lot of potential there they're older players obviously at this point I think they're both 28 and it just sounds crazy saying older I don't am not necessarily saying they're old but they're they're veterans now I, I think that maybe through some of the things that have happened over the past two years specifically they've they've had some ups and downs but I think both are worthy of keeping and I'm a little shocked that Byron is would would really be ready to pull the plug on them both. Matthijs delict we've talked about a lot. I mean, this, this one, I, I really don't get. Uh, I think he still has so much to offer the the talk of his passing ability being poor is nonsense and is so overblown. I don't get it. I, I mean, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about how all of these tie together, but I don't understand this delicting thing at all. And as far as Davies goes, Yes absolutely has plateaued, absolutely has deficiencies in his game, but still is absolutely probably one of the top five left backs in the world. No reason to give up on him. I would challenge him, absolutely challenge him to get better if you can get him to agree to a contract extension. But the fact that he's under the microscope tells me that Byron has, is realizing that they have not done a great job in developing Davies and pushing him to get to that next level. I think they realize it. I think they're trying to sort out exactly how much he's worth in terms of what they can offer him. And if they don't feel like he's going to be the kind of player who's going to get better, I think the offer that they're going to make to him is going to fall short of what he wants. So how does it all tie together with these players? Who, who, Why would these specific players be on the outside looking in? And I think the one common thread And what is going on is Thomas Tuchel. I think that he has issues with Kimmich and how big of a a voice he has in the locker room. I think that he has issues with Kimmich in terms of what he wants from a number six. I think he has not liked Goretzka from the get-go, and I think it was pretty obvious. He only used Goretzka when he figured out that Conrad Limer was not quite the midfielder they thought they were getting. I think that... Tuchel wanted Delict out from day one as well. I think these are all things that you it would be hard to argue against. Even when Delict was healthy in the Hinrunde, he was the odd man out in the center back rotation. I think Delict, more than maybe any of the players, given his age it, it, and his contract status, and the fact that he has wanted to play for Bayern Munich. Those are all things that the club should be capitalizing on. They should not be looking to get rid of the guy who was their best center back last season. I, I don't understand how people forget this. I, I know there's a lot of excitement about Kim Min-Jay, and I understand Makano has done really well, and he, he has built himself up a good reputation. But damn, you want to get rid of the licked? I mean, this guy carried you at various points last year. And I'm not going to knock Upamakano. I think he's great. He's a great player. He had a couple of down moments last year. But when you needed somebody to step up last year, Delict was the guy. It wasn't Upamakano. He's vocal. He's a leader. And it's all natural. It's not manufactured. And one of the funny things that came out was uh, perhaps some of his teammates don't like about how blunt he is in assessing the team after games. Tough. I I don't, you know, I've read those comments and yeah, when I read them, I'm like, wow, Delict is, he's telling it how it is for players. It's like, I get it. Like you're going to hear it from the media. You're going to hear it from the coach. And it's not like Delict has ever absolved himself of any wrongdoing when he's had off games, he's openly talked about it. So there's, there's a little bit of a a, a part of me that doubts that there's that much, I don't know, uh, apprehension or, bitterness toward delict from other players this all seems like tuchel type things uh when it comes to davies i i listen you can tell how what a coach thinks of a player by how they handle him. we could see that 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 tuchel was going to take a different tact with kimmick right he benched him he took him out of games didn't start him always there were things that other coaches would never do when it comes to davies though It it, it seems like Kimmich is. I'm sorry, Tuchel has started to do a little bit of that as well, where he started to remove him from games, and and not use him when he's healthy, which again rarely ever happens. So I think Tuchel is a driving force behind a lot of this, and uh, whether fans like it or not, I I truly do think that these players are under the microscope, and it's going to be very very tough uh, for them during the course of this Rook Ronda to, to, to be able to prove themselves in the eyes of Tuchel, because in a lot of ways, I think he's got his mind made up about this specific, what is this a quintet of players, something like that. So yeah, I, I think this is all being driven by Tuchel. I think that the club's bosses are taking Tuchel's feedback and running with it. And I, you know, as always, do you believe the build reporter? Don't you No, I absolutely believe it because there have been stories about all of these players from various publications over the last few months. So in my mind, I believe it. I think the five players are under the microscope. I think they're all really going to be analyzed over the course of the next few months. And the club might might, might have to make some very tough decisions. We're going to take one last break, and I'm going to hit you with some of the entertainment stuff that I've been doing. That won't take long. So just hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us. Um, Appreciate you listening to the weekend warm-up podcast. The last thing I wanted to hit on was uh, the entertainment stuff that I've been going through. And as you know, I've been watching Fargo season five and working my way through all of those Marvel movies. So let me give you let me catch you up with where I am with Fargo. Uh, Watched the two latest episodes, episode seven titled Linda and episode eight titled Blanket. A lot of stuff that has come out in typical Fargo fashion we had some dream sequences. We had a lot of twists and turns. Episode seven was pretty wild. It really did focus on a dream sequence, but it gave us the background on Roy Tillman's first wife named Linda. It it gave us a lot of information on Gator Tillman. It gave us especially a lot of information on Dot slash Nadine. So we got a lot and that episode was Start to finish, so intriguing, kept me on the edge of my seat in, in terms of getting more information to understand the story more. And it set up perfectly to episode eight, which was titled Blanket, which led to Roy, of course, I won't, I'm hesitant to use the word capture, but it's kind of what happened getting dot slash Nadine and taking her back to his ranch from there. It was a series of major events where things unraveled for just about every single character in the show. And uh, if you have not watched this season of Fargo, you absolutely should. This is one of the better seasons of the show. It has been crazy in a lot of different ways. It's also dealing with the heavy topic of domestic abuse, which is, you know, listen, I get some people will be turned off by it because they don't want to deal with heavy type Topics when they're just trying to relax and watch TV, and I, admittedly, sometimes I feel that way. But in this case, it ties in so perfectly to the storyline and telling the story that I think it's just necessary to have. And the one thing I'll say overall, just about how the episodes have been constructed, the writing has been crisp, the dialogue has been so clean uh, in terms of how the the characters interact with each other. The character development over the course of the show has been excellent, and you have just that. Just enough of that Fargo weirdness to to keep it all in line with the greater, you know, anthology theme of the show. So I, I really have enjoyed this season. Looking forward to see how they wrap it up. But uh, in true Fargo fashion, there will be there will be even more twists and turns to to the story. As far as the Marvel movies go, I <laughs> made it through my next batch, so I'll rip them rip through them right now. I would love to hear your takes on what you thought about some of these. I know this is old, but like I I had put this off for so long. So I just didn't want to commit the time to it. But uh, I made it through Thor dark world, which I gave a 3.75 out of five. I liked it a lot. It gave a good backstory as to the infinity stones and started to give the audience an idea of the power that they hold and, and, and why they were so important. But it also was a little bit rushed, uh, you know, it didn't feel like it was as good a story overall as the first Thor movie, but I still did like it. Iron Man 3, I, I felt very similar about, uh, similarly about, I gave that a 3.5 out of 5. Weakest of the Iron Man movies. The thing that I'll take out of that is I hated seeing Stark's mansion in Malibu destroyed. That that I don't know why. All these movies have destruction, but that one bothered me for some reason. I, I can't put my finger on it. Captain America, The Winter Soldier obviously a continuation of the overall storyline, a couple of things that struck me with this, we got the good backstory of the winter soldier and how Bucky Barnes became the winter soldier. We also, uh, a good, I guess, like I said, continuation of how to make the story progress, you know, from an overall standpoint, when you're talking about different characters and tying all things in the one thing that was, you know, and I know this is an old Marvel thing, but Hydra infiltrating shield, uh, on a widespread scale and keeping it under wraps for so long, it just felt forced. And, and even in this world of superheroes, completely unlikely uh, in in this world of super intelligence that, that everyone seems to have. Uh, but either way, 3.25 out of five, again, enjoyed it just wasn't up to par with some of the, the previous ones. Guardians of the Galaxy 5.0 out of five. just Unbelievable. Great movie. The first one, Was a big fan and didn't expect it because, like I said, I was not a a massive space fan when it came to the Marvel stuff as a kid. But the way that they did this and how I mean, they they again, I could say this about all the Marvel movies. They nailed the characters and casting them Uh, again. Great dialogue. A lot of action and everything just kept going, and you never felt like there was a stagnant moment. Just one of the great Marvel movies that was made. I did not expect that. I expected to not like Guardians of the Galaxy as much as I did. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I thought 4.5 out of 5. Tough to repeat that magic from the first one, but still very good. I thought the storyline with Star Lord's dad ego kind of drug out too long uh in my mind and uh listen, I know the the backstory on all of it from the history of the comic books and all of that. but uh just just a little bit of a step down from the original. And then finally the last one that I watched over the course of the past well a week week and a half or so was Avenger's Age of Ultron. Again, legendary story in Marvel Comics. Almost everyone has heard of it. Uh, it was really well done. Again, the one thing about the Marvel movies that I guess is tough for me to, to grasp at first, but they just cut right to the action. There's almost no build up to the plot. I like a little bit more build up, which is probably why I have shifted more from movies to the the so-called prestige TV shows where you get a little bit more build up and backstory uh, this jumped pretty much right into the action. Uh, so there was really not that much buildup. But I guess Marvel is banking on a couple of things, right? They're banking on their core, core, core comic book nerd audience, like someone like me, who like probably read stuff as a kid, but maybe fell off a little bit along the way. You're going to understand the storyline, right? People that have started when they were young and carried all the way through, they're going to know the storyline back and forth or inside and out, I should say the people that jumped in that just liked the movies and probably didn't know anything from the comic books the action is good enough to carry them so they probably don't care enough about any type of build-up because they're getting that action right off right off the bat and it's it's good the movies are really good so gave avengers age of ultron a four out of five very good uh the ending i i and this bothered me a little bit the you know the Tony Stark and Clint Barton, they were going to leave the Avengers and they were going to have to move on without them. I mean, that's all great. And I understand for storytelling purposes, why maybe they had to do it to set things up later, but it was not like that was ever realistic. And sometimes it comes across as disingenuous on the screen when you're showing an audience, something that they clearly know is, is, you know, the characters are going to walk back on very quickly. So um, really good. I'm happy that I decided to do that because you know, I feel like, one, I was way behind in the pop culture thing, and I missed out on this completely because I, quite frankly, did not want to invest any time into it. Uh, I don't have, even have a lot of time to do this. It sounds weird. I just reviewed, like, five movies and two TV shows or two episodes of a TV show, but I'm, like, cramming this stuff in, like, late at night, so it's killing my sleep a little bit. Uh, it was nicer, like, last week or so because I was off from work and I didn't have as many responsibilities Uh, as I normally do. I wasn't running around with my kids 24-7 like I always have to do. But now that I'm back in the routine, it's killing my sleep schedule. So I'll I'll continue through and I'll make it through to end game. And uh, that's probably where I'll end the Marvel reviews. But hey, appreciate you hanging in and listening. Uh, Drop some comments uh, uh, into the the post for this podcast or reach out to me on social media. Love hearing from you because I want to hear about your takes on all those Byron transfers. I want to Hear what you're thinking about those players under the microscope, and would definitely love to hear what you thought about if you're watching Fargo or if you've got takes on the uh, Marvel movies. So that's where I'm at. Appreciate you hanging in for the weekend warm-up podcast. Uh, We should be on a normal schedule coming up soon with preview shows and post games mixed in once the games start back up. So looking forward to that. Uh, As always, check out BavarianFootballWorks.com to get everything Bayern and German national team related. You can get me at The Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian You can get I Need No Name at BFWINN. you can get our tweetmeister Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. You can get Siler at CYL3R. And as I stated, you can get all of our great writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Have a great weekend. Have a couple of beers on me. And we'll see you next time.